at Mom Life presented by Kids Dentistry, welcoming new smiles at Kids Dentistry. With safety as their top priority and easy online scheduling for new patients, Kids Dentistry is where healthy smiles grow. Visit kidsdentistry.com. That's dentistry spelled D-E-N-T-I-S-T-R-E-E. Welcome to That Mom Life. I'm Sarah Jordan, and today I am joined by Teresa, and I am so excited. Teresa is with Lashed Louisville. She is someone who helps out all of the lactating moms, and we're going to get into all of that because that's just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to your career. And I always start with how I find somebody or know somebody because I find all my own guests. And my favorite part about finding you is the fact that I started talking to Courtney, who was a speech pathologist. Courtney recommended me to the sleep trainer, Ashley, who also was on my podcast and I later hired to help me with my baby. And they both said, you need to track down Teresa with Latched Louisville. And I love this little group of people I stumbled into. I know. It's a fun little posse to be included in. This little (laughs) mom and baby, you know, guru group. What I love so much about it is that you all met each other when you were working for the children's hospital, correct? Um, no, we actually worked at different times. So I know I went to high school with Courtney. Um, and then we reconnected once we both kind of started our own private practice. And then Ashley and I worked in the peds, um, ICU at different times. She worked in the NICU and I worked in the pediatric ICU and ER, but we didn't actually meet each other. I actually found her on Instagram when I was starting my private practice and I reached out to her um, and we met for coffee because I wanted all of her insight on how do you actually do this? How do you get your name out there? How do you do marketing? Um, Who does your Instagram page? Like, how do you have time for all of that? And so she was so kind and did not withhold anything and has really kind of encouraged me to make this, you know, this dream of having a private practice happen. Okay. So while you guys did not work together, you all have worked at the children's hospital at different times. Right. Okay. And that's what I find amazing is that not only are all three of you insanely educated women who have dedicated yourselves to the medical industry, specifically pediatrics, but now you all have gone off into your own branches, your own businesses, consulting and stuff like that, which I am blown away by. So I feel like I need to back up and figure out how in the world did you get there? So do you grew up in Louisville, correct? Yes, I grew up here in Louisville, um, graduated from Mayo High School 2004, and then went to college, um, went off to UK for one semester and came back home after the first semester and lived at home. Um, went to UofL and met my husband um, and got married as babies. We were 20 and 22. Do did you find that people often like criticize that or questioned like you guys are kind of young or anything like that? Not, not our families, um, but definitely other people and definitely, um, definitely like our, our groups of friends or our cohorts in school. Um, you know, in my nursing school cohort, they, there was no one that was even close to thinking about getting married. Um, so yeah, it was, it was definitely unusual. So with that being said, do you look back on it now and you see other 20 year olds and stuff like that and find it incredible that you were able to find your husband at that young of an age? Yes, because I, looking back on that time, I thought I knew everything under the sun and I, you know, I thank God that he protected me from making any like terrible life altering decisions that could have, you know, 
harmed my future, but it all worked out. Um, but looking, you know, back on some of the decisions I made or attitudes I had towards things, I was just really a little bit arrogant. And I think most 20 year olds are, you know, have this like false sense of confidence that can take you so far, but I agree with you on that one. I actually met my husband when I was 21. I was a senior in college, but we were engaged by the time I was 22 and then married by 23, which all of my friends were, we all met our husbands around that age. I actually have several friends that are high school sweethearts since they were like 15 years old. I have at least four sets of couples that I know that are all high school sweethearts, which is bizarre, but all my husband's friends didn't get married well until their thirties. So it was really weird. One group of friends, we were all married by 23, 24, having kids by around 25, 26. And then it's like, there's this huge gap in between when the next group of our friends got married. So did you find yourself like the only ones for a while? No. And that brings up a good point. Most of my girlfriends in my close circle did end up getting married pretty young. And I think the difference is that we, you know, grew up in this, not grew up. I didn't become a Christian until I was in, you know, at the end of high school, but in this close Christian circle, you know, women try to wait until they get married to have sex. And so when you find somebody that you're in love with, like there is a huge urgency to get married because you want to have sex. And so most of my friends around that time were falling in love and like, oh, why are, you know, don't ever have a long engagement because that's just torture. <laughs> I you mean, know? it does make sense. Yeah. And thank, I mean, thankfully most, most of us have, you know, worked out and are still married. Um, but it's, I mean, that's the reality of what it was. I think like we, you know, had this pressure to hurry up and get married because there was going to be no living with each other, um, you know, or being super intimate until that happened. So when you were in school, I mean, obviously when you were in school, you clearly had to focus on medicine, but like, did you always know that you wanted to do something in the pediatric realm? So I didn't even know, um, about, I really honestly didn't know about the pediatric ICU or the pediatric ER. I didn't even, I'd never been to one, um, until nursing school when we did clinicals and rotations. And so I worked as a nurse aide at Jewish hospital for a long time, taking, you know, doing bed baths for old people. And I was like, um, this really naive 18, 19 year old and was suddenly thrown into this job where I'm bathing old men and helping, you know, changing their diapers and stuff. Um, so it was quite a startling experience for me, um, as you know, this naive 18 year old who didn't have much world experience. And so that was kind of the time where I, I really decided that I loved pediatrics. And I was a nanny at that time, too. Um, and so I just dove right in right after graduation. I went straight to the pediatric ICU, which is a crazy world of its own. I can't imagine. I mean, I, we've done a lot of work trying to raise money for the children's hospital here. And so we've gotten to know some of the kiddos and their families because we've done it now for over 10 years. And the medical field is only made for certain people. And I am not one of those people. (laughs) So especially considering you were in one of the hardest places to work. Yeah, it was pretty intense. And it's definitely this, you see the most severe and extreme cases of, you know, childhood illness and tragedy and trauma in that setting. And so being a young new grad nurse at 22, Um, seeing kids dying from what's called non-accidental trauma or child abuse or, 
house fires or in the summer, it's called trauma season. So lots of car wrecks, lots of drownings. Um, and then, you know, little babies with, you know, needing heart transplants. And so it, it's a pretty gruesome place to work and it makes you, you know, a little bit, when I started having children, it became incredibly hard for me to keep working there um, because I was paranoid about everything that could possibly happen to them. Yeah. I can't even imagine. And I mean, that's part of my thing is that now that I have kids, it hits home a lot differently when I hear these stories, let alone living and being immersed in it. So yeah. you took that on head on. And how long were you in the field before you yourself started to have kids? So I had my my first child when I was 24. So I had been working as a nurse in the in the pediatric ICU for two years at that point. Um, and then when he was born, I went back to just working like one day a week so that I could stay home with him, which was, I'm so thankful that we did that. And we had to pay back. Um, there's this loan program that Norton or Jewish gives new grad nurses where if you work for us for two or actually four years, you get all of your loans paid for. So making that decision, we broke our contract and had to pay like $12,000 within 30 days. Um, Whoa. So we were, I know it was intense. They're not, they do not play with their money. Um, so in order to break that contract, it, you know, my husband and I had a, a big, huge talk about that and realized it was worth it to me and worth it to our family to do that. So I'm, I'm really glad for that time we had. Wow. And so one of the things that I saw when I was reading your story is that you and your husband went, did you say nine years working different schedules where he worked Monday through Friday and you worked the weekends? So my husband's a a public school teacher. He teaches high school math and I ended up finding or getting a good position in the, the ER where I could work every weekend and they give you an incentive for working the weekend Um, and so I would work 3 PM to 3 AM every Saturday and Sunday night, and then like get home at like 4 AM on Monday morning and then get up at seven with the kids. And so I was home all week and then, you know, my husband would work and then I would go back on the weekends. Um, and that's just what we did for nine years. He kind of was a solo dad on the weekends. Um, and he did every, you know, every holiday that was on, you know, Mother's Day, Father's Day, all the Easter, like he would take all the kids to all the family events and I would work. So that's you how know, we did it. You know, I actually have a lot of friends, even some that we've even mentioned on this call. In fact, I have a friend who I want to say possibly even manages the pediatric ICU now over the children's hospital. Either way, I know that working the weekend night shift is a lot of the ways that they do maintain their careers with their husbands so that they are able to be home. In fact, I even have other friends who are pediatric nurses that are even have twins um, like yourself. So it's something that I think is actually a lot more common, but I have to ask, when did you have time for you and your husband? When was date night? Um, You know, when we were in the throes of four kids under, you know, four and under, there was not a lot of time for us. And it was, it was for sure the hardest season of our marriage when our kids were little, um, because we were in survival mode, you know, and, um, there were expectations that, you know, we learned to, you know, we got married so young that we've kind of grown up together. And so we've had to learn to communicate in a better way, you know, and talk about expectations and roles. You know, you go back to gender roles in a marriage and when the, you know, 
when the wife is typically the one that that maintains the home has gone working, you know, you have to reevaluate those expectations. So it took a long time for us to kind of to smooth out those areas for sure. Um, so we didn't have a lot of date nights, unfortunately, but we're getting back to it now. <laughs> so you do mention you do have four kids now. And yeah. so you had your son and then you had twins, which were a boy and a girl. And then you had another daughter, another son, son. So you have three sons and a daughter. Correct. So, okay. Obviously having your first child is totally life-changing because you go from being able to focus on all you, just your marriage, just you and your husband, and then your world gets completely turned upside down because now you're a mom forever and always. And mm -hmm. I do find that one of, to be one of the most mentally challenging things to adjust to over time. But then as you and I were talking before we started, when you switch to having a second child or in your case, second and third at the same time, you can't sit down and relax. You can't take yeah. a nap when they're napping while you're pregnant. You can't go take a nap. There's a teeny tiny baby running around that you're still changing the diapers on. <laughs> yes. I, I often like, you know, I never tell new moms this because I never want to like, you know, not validate their feelings because it is hard having your first baby. Um, but there is, there is no time ever that you will get in your life that replaces that one-on-one -on -one time with just your firstborn. Um, and you can never go back to that. It's such a magical time that you get, to, you're learning how to be a mother. You can take naps while your baby sleeps on your chest. Um, and really it's just the two of you at home all day. And when you have, you know, when it's your second or third baby, that does not exist anymore. There's no like feeding the baby and then let's stay on the couch for 30 minutes and make faces at each other and kiss all, you know, like you've got to get up and give the, the, the toddler breakfast, change diapers, make sure they're not, you know, getting into the cabinets and it's, there's, there's no rest for the weary. Uh, no. Yeah. Not at all. And I think that's, I remember when I was having, well, when we first brought my second home, my son was so little. I mean, there's no way he even remembers life without her in it, but he was so little. He didn't even grasp that this was his sister. Oh, and she's going to stay forever. It wasn't until like we had the, oh, your baby sister brought you a present type of situation that I think he even probably smiled at her for the first time. Yeah. It was a much different experience for me when we had our third, because my other two children were four and six years older than the baby. So they were fully aware, fully able oh, yeah. to help. And it was a little bit easier than the back-to-back, -back, less than two years apart between one and two. So you walking into twins, how was that a different experience? Obviously, you have two versus one, and my brain can't fathom all of that. <laughs> you know, I got so many, so many words of sympathy, like everywhere we went, you know, of course, when you see twins, every, especially, you know, any woman over the age of 50 is going to stop you. So you get stopped repeatedly in any kind of store or public place that you go to. Oh, sweetie, you've got your hands full. Are these all yours? How do you do it? I could never have twins. Oh, honey, I feel sorry for you. Lots of comments like that. Um, but honestly, we were in survival mode, you know, and the twins were the easiest part of having three kids because they slept, ate and pooped. And I was pretty like regimented and routine with them because I had to be. Um, I was very task oriented. And so unfortunately, I don't, I didn't obsess over their milestones and the little, you know, tiny things that they did that were so adorable as much as I did with my firstborn, which is sad because, you know, 
when you've got a toddler, we talked about earlier, they're in the varmint stage. Like when they're that age and they're like little raccoons in your house, tearing things out of your cabinets, dumping over the trash, you know, putting objects down the toilet. And so the hardest part was for sure the toddler, the toddler stage. Um, yeah. And the babies just kind of were in the background. I mean, I can't agree with you more only because my daughter, my youngest is currently in, and I've never heard it references this, the varmint stage. We jokingly call her puppy mags because she is so much worse than the other two were. First of all, I think that's the thing that's been the hardest for us is that she's the one that if she can climb on it, she's going to climb on it. And any ladder, she can figure out how to climb it in the trash. She's in the trash. She's in the dog food. Yesterday, she's put her little cup inside the dog's water bowl and pulled herself out a glass of water. Not even realizing we were in the yard picking flowers. She decided to bite the flower. She was opening the trash, trying to get things. I mean, she does not care she every single time no 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 fear she is just a hot little mess and i remember being like pleasantly surprised with each of my kids because i would forget and then they would do this and it would i would be like think they were so clever by dragging like stools or chairs around the house to stand up on them so they could reach things like the light switch or whatever like you don't, you don't teach a kid that, but they just want to crawl and climb and explore and destroy. hundred percent. And that's yeah. exactly what she does. And the thing is, is that she is wickedly smart. So she figures out how to overcome those obstacles. Or if she sees, yeah, she sees you do it once, for instance, mm-hmm. you think, oh yes, I can, you're cooking. So yes, here, here's the parsley. You can hold this container. You're just going to shake it, right? Oh, no. no, she no, figures no. out how to take the cap off, dump it all over the floor or try to eat it. Mm-hmm. And it's like mm-hmm. every single thing. My other two were nothing like her. She Oh my gosh, that one terrifies me a little bit. And you're right. The varmint stage, like you said, little raccoons, they're tiny raccoons. Although I can't remember, when do they outgrow the raccoon face? Oh, like three. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) Oh man. Okay. So I've been to win it for a while now. And obviously now you have latched to Louisville, which is, what would you, does that mean you're a, you're not just a lactation consultant. You're actually far more than that. Correct. Right. So, you know, I worked as a nurse in the pediatric ER for a long, long time. And when my youngest, Ian, was weaned, um, so he, like, right after he turned one that summer, I went back to school to be a women's health nurse practitioner um, and did that for two years. And I actually, at during that time, the exam to be and it's called an International Board Certified Lactation Consultant or IBCLC. The exam for that is an international exam. Um, It's translated in a bunch of different languages, but it's the same content. And to be honest with you, studying and and taking that exam was harder than my nurse practitioner boards um, because it's all about the breast. I mean, you have to know about the milk content of different animals and why it's not suitable for a human baby. And just the structure, you know, to the cellular cellular level of the breast. And it was just a really intense um, exam to take. So I passed that while I was in nurse practitioner school thinking, you know, if I get this, I'll have a really easy job getting, um, finding a job as a women's health nurse practitioner because, you know, the OBGYN offices will love that, love that I have this certification Um, and it turns out that didn't help at all. They didn't really care about that. Um, 
so I did have a hard time finding a job as a nurse practitioner when I graduated. Um, and I landed in this, which was a blessing in this community clinic here in Louisville. It's a federally funded clinic that serves um, mostly um, underserved, an underserved population. So uh, minorities, undocumented immigrants, refugees. And so I really got to get my feet wet um, in a really needy population of women doing, you know, tons of pap smears and um, STD checks, you know, birth control consults. And I was able to use my lactation experience, you know, because I did prenatal visits and then postpartum exams. And I got to touch lots of breasts and really get my hands dirty with all kinds of women's health needs. And um, at that time, I realized, you know, I really love talking about postpartum. I love postpartum women. I love how vulnerable and um, just genuinely needy they are. And I, you know, I love to support them in that season. And I love talking about breastfeeding. I love talking about the misery that is breastfeeding and also the joy <laughs> of breastfeeding um, because it's, it's one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life, you know? And I did not have a lot of support when I was breastfeeding. This, um, there are two really well-known private practice lactation consultants in Louisville besides me. And when I was having kids, um, I don't think they were around. And so all you had, there was this place called Baby Bistro, um, that not Baby Bistro, that, that exists now. It was called Babyology. I remember that, yeah. Yes, and it was this, um, this little like boutique place where you could go and rent hospital grade pumps, get nursing bras, get supplies for your breast pump. And then they did free lactation consults. Um, and they closed down because they couldn't, you know, sustain that because the lactation consults were free. Um, because the hospitals were offering it for free, but people don't love going into the hospital postpartum, going back to the hospital to see a lactation consultant. Um, and so when I had my twins and my daughter destroyed, you know, one of my breasts, I had mastitis like six times. I had to see a breast surgeon. I had to see an interventional radiologist, all these things. How, how does that happen? Like, I guess I, I've never heard that. Like I've never oh, heard of getting so destroyed. I, I assigned them each a breast because my son, the boy twin was like this dream. He was like my boyfriend. Like he, we, he was an amazing breastfeeder and we just, you know, were in seventh heaven when he was nursing. And then my daughter would, and she still clenches like this. Like when she would get excited or any kind of intense emotion, she would clamp and like tense up really tight. And so she would just, you know, clamp down like a piranha on the tip of my nipple. And even the lactation consultant was like, I, I can't get, I can't break her latch with my finger. She's so tight. Looking back on it now and, and knowing all of the adjunct therapies that I know about now, I would have taken her to the chiropractor. I would have taken her for, you know, cranial sacral therapy, but I didn't know about that then. There were, Instagram didn't exist then, um, or at least it wasn't popular. So there wasn't, we didn't have access to all of this information in the women's health, you know, world. And so I just dealt with it. And the OBGYNs, I think I rotated through every single OBGYN in my practice. And it was a big practice. And they all were like, why are you doing this? Like, you just stop breastfeeding. You're torturing yourself. You know, there was never any like, you know, doctors, pediatricians and OBGYNs are not experts in lactation, you know, and not that that's a diss on them, but they're just not, they're not trained in lactation. And so 
um, I really found like help from the free lactation consultant at babyology. And she, I remember being just in awe of her, like, how is she set? Like, I, I knew I was annoying because I would, I would show up there all the time and call her crying and so emotional. And I remember thinking like, I don't want to call her today because I know I'm going to get on her nerves. Um, and I was just, I was just really low and vulnerable and I wanted to breastfeed my babies. And I was so tenacious and determined that I was just a martyr to breastfeeding. Like I was clenching my butt cheeks and raising my shoulders in intense pain when she came near my breast and would back away like, and, you know, have to almost latch her and then pull away because I was so scared of my daughter. Um, and so the lactation consultant was just more, more than like a clinician, but more, you know, kind of like a mother figure and like encouraging me and telling me like your value as a mother is not defined by the volume of milk or the, how many days you're able to, you know, to breastfeed. Why don't you try pumping for her and letting her have a bottle of breast milk and you can continue nursing Jesse. And I had, I had so much angst and turmoil about that. Like how could I nurse one of my twins and not the other? Like what kind of evil mother would do that? You know, is he going to be like really bonded and really well-developed and she's going to be like this detached I just was, you know, spiraling in my thoughts, but she really was like more of a counselor to me and like, this is fine. She's getting breast milk, you know? And I remember at that point being like, I want to be just like you. I, I want to like, you know, be this person for breastfeeding women that they remember. And like, I was able to, whatever their goal is, I was able to help meet my goal or change my goals. And she helped me get there and let me know that I could do it. Um, so yeah, that's kind of why I went into lactation, but you know, lactation consultants don't make good money. Um, and so I knew as I had student loan debt as a nurse practitioner and I had a job as a nurse practitioner, like it doesn't make sense. My husband would have killed me if I would have, you know, not used my degree that he kind of suffered alongside me to get. Um, so I thought, why don't I go into private practice? and figure out how to bill these visits as a medical provider and not as a registered nurse, lactation consultant. And so, yeah, starting in 2019, I Googled everything and I figured out what is an LLC? How do you get that? How do you apply to be one? How, like, what do you do next? Like, how do you get credentialed to be, you know, a provider that can bill insurance? Who does that for you? I tried to do it on my own and it was like this hellacious experience. So I hired a billing team and then, I mean, it was all just like finding things on Google and figuring out how, to, because no one else is doing this, you know, so, there's not. But did you have other friends that were breastfeeding at all? Oh yeah. So part of the reason I even started this podcast was because I had a great village of people. And not just friends, my best friend who her, she actually introduced my husband and I on like a blind double date, but I've known her since I was a child. Her mom was my lactation consultant. So Aww. I've known her mom since I was a child, like 10 years old. And her mom was at the hospital and was the primary lactation consultant that when I was at the hospital, I had her number. I would call her. She would yeah. come over to my house. She would help me. My good Aww. friends, who some of the people you know, also had taken lactation classes. I had amazing people surrounding me. And I had known way too many women 
that had had this dream of breastfeeding, hit an obstacle, immediately said, I can't do this, gave up, which you know what, to each their own. And that's totally fine. Yeah. But I knew ultimately that's what they wanted. And that's part of the reason why I even started this podcast to begin with is because I want to be that village for women supporting women, mothers supporting moms. And even just like right now, if someone's struggling, they're now hearing you and knowing that there's someone to actually call because I too, my daughter, my youngest has a clamping issue. Mm-hmm. And it was only when she would go to fall asleep sometimes that she would clamp down like a piranha. Yeah. And you don't want to wake a sleeping baby. So I would be like silently screaming and crying. And this is up until like I stopped breastfeeding a month ago. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, in total in the last 10 years, I was pregnant or nursing. If I got pregnant, I was, my body was for somebody else for the 40 weeks of pregnancy in the 16 months to follow that every single time. And I was able to do that because I had support. But again, it's yes, breastfeeding in some ways is like riding a bike, but the thing you can't control is your baby. And every baby is so different. So with my third, I always know the first two weeks are going to be hell on earth. You're going to be, like you said, clenching your entire body, holding your breath until you let down and the pain eases and then you'll be okay. And then after about two weeks, most of the time breastfeeding is much easier. Now then add in pumping and going back to work. And you just said your worth is not in the amount of how much milk you make, but I used to feel that way. I used to have so much guilt over being a working mom. That is where my determination to breastfeed came in. I thought As long as I can breastfeed them, I don't feel as guilty for the fact that I have to go to work. This is the least I can do. So when I, for several of my friends now that are having kids, they call me and I'm like, this is a labor of love. And I emphasize the labor part because this is going to be one of the most laborious activities you have ever done. Yeah, Your, Your body is dedicated to them every two to three hours now for as long as you go. And it's exhausting and then they'll bite you. And so that's what happened to me in the hospital. My, my daughter did that and it, I, I had a very large tear and I didn't know, for instance, there was like prescription strength breast cream and no one told me that the other two times, but I ended up having to get like the prescription strength to heal myself because I was in tears, absolutely miserable. And then luckily that's the only time that ever happened. But I mean, up until she stopped breastfeeding, she would still clamp down sometimes. And it's like a pain unlike any other. And it, even on my third, fine. Yeah. It's just a completely different experience. And that's why I think it is so amazing that you did start this business because yes, you get a, a very brief experiences with lactation consultants in the hospital. There's so many other things going on. It's hard to even focus on them. And you don't necessarily want to even go back there. So it's like, who do you call? What do you do? How do you get through this to ultimately reach the goal that you wanted? Mm -hmm. And you're right. There's a lot of people that don't necessarily give you the advice you're looking for, but you don't know where else to turn to. Right. And I think, you know, a big, one of the most important things that you just said, was like your goal, whatever your goal is. And I think, you know, Lactation consultants, unfortunately, are in this position where either they get a reputation of like, she saved my breastfeeding journey or she was the worst. Yeah. Because, um, you know, when you're, when you're postpartum and you're trying to sustain your child's life with your body, um, if things don't go well, it's like soul crushing, you know, it's all consuming. Um, and so look, you know, you, 
you kind of want to blame something and what, what went wrong. And so when things, when women don't meet their goals, they tend to want to be like, well, that lactation consultant, you know, she didn't help me. She told me to do this or that, but if it goes really well, you know, it's like, oh, she was amazing. I loved her so much. I wouldn't have been able to do it without her. But I think, you know, being a good lactation consultant means asking and then re-asking and re-evaluating, like, what are your goals? Because, you know, breastfeeding for a year works for some people. And yes, that's recommended, but it might not be what's best for your family or your mental health. Correct. Or your physical health. And so I, I really, really, you know, made it part of my like mantra to not blindly encourage all women to suffer through the trauma that breastfeeding can be, you know, just for the sake of doing it. Like it's okay to reevaluate your goals, like, you know, a month in, like, would you like to exclusively pump? Would you like to pump during the day and then nurse at night and nurse in the morning? Like, tell me what you want to do and I'll help you get there. Well, and I do think there's a lot of, for the women who say, I'm going to do this. I think they have this like stigma in their head that like you did, if I don't physically nurse her, then somehow I am not going to have this connection. I'm going to be a bad mom. Mm -hmm. When I actually have a lot of friends who have exclusively pumped or even exclusively pumped up until six months. And they were blessed with such a supply that they got to keep that supply going for the next six months. So I'm continue to be amazed by people in the ways they have figured out how to reach their goals in different ways. I had a friend recently who she had to switch to exclusively pumping within the first two weeks. And she was afraid to tell me because she thought I was going to be like disappointed or something. And I was like, are you kidding me? You're still working so hard. That's even harder in some cases, because now you're having to get out of pump and wash bottles and wash parts. Remember all of those parts. Exactly. And then get all those coolers together, get all the ice. Don't forget the milk. Don't forget your parts. Like it's more difficult to exclusively do that. And it's just, I am so it's, it's, it's interesting to me that you just said the word suffering through breastfeeding, because I've never thought of it in that way, because I always try to remind myself, like, I, I am very glad that I've been able to do this. What a blessing I've been able to give my children, blah, 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 blah. But with my third, and I go back to Ashley, the sleep trainer with her as an update to people who possibly listen to that episode, breastfeeding was something that I needed to stop for my own mental and physical health at that time, because I had been home with the baby nonstop due to the pandemic. She was so used to me as a crutch in the middle of the night and I couldn't figure out how to break it. And so I was not sleeping at all and hadn't slept for 14 months. And I was like, Mm -hmm. I can't keep doing this. I need my, I need to be able to work out again. And of course the, I, some people have the myth of if you breastfeed, you automatically drop weight. I'm not one of those people. <laughs> um, in fact, my body won't lose weight while I'm breastfeeding. So it's like, I've gained weight. I need to lose weight. I need to find myself again. Wow. I, need, I need my own time. I need to sleep. My body needs rest. And it just became this, um, but I felt so guilty about it. I was like, how could I, it's go, everything's going fine. Like I don't have to stop, but I did in my own way need to stop. Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's so many reasons that it's time, you know, it can be time earlier for some women, you know, depending on how, what the dynamics of your family are and how it's affecting your marriage or how it's affecting your mental health. And I mean, I often tell women who, who have these type of fears or anxieties about pumping or how long to do it or when to quit, like put socks over your bottles when you're pumping, stop watching how much milk is going into the bottle. Like your mind and your breast are so connected And, um, I mean, there's, this is evidence-based that, 
you know, the hormone oxytocin, which is the feel good, the bonding, the love hormone that lets your, lets your breasts have a milk letdown or a milk ejection reflex. If you have high levels of cortisol, which is a stress hormone that blocks oxytocin and does not allow your milk to come down. So this happens in a lot of, you know, a lot of women who are pumping and work as nurses, especially in an ER or, a, or an intense um, setting. If they are anxious about how long they're pumping, they have to get back to work. Who's watching their patients? Are they timing me? You know, a lot of times they won't get any milk when they pump. Um, and so, and then that's because the levels of, of cortisol in your body are preventing the oxytocin from letting your milk come out. So it's, it's just a really, you know, it's not talked about a lot, how connected your mind and your mental state is to your breasts. And so there comes a time when, you know, to protect that. And, you know, when you feel satisfied with, with whether you've met your goal or not, then it can be time to stop, you know, and that's different for every woman. I didn't even think about the, the nursing side of things, but you're right. I, I may have just connected the dots to, I used to have such an oversupply with mm -hmm. my first, but I had like just enough with my second. I mean, there were times with my first that I'd be like, whoops, I accidentally left out 30 ounces on the counter all night. No big deal. Oh on the goodness. flip side, the next child, if I wasted three ounces, I was sobbing. Yeah. And then with my third, I ended up not having to pump because I was home. But now that I'm thinking, I'm like, I was thinking it was, had something to do with the baby or my boobs, but really it was probably my stress levels that had changed oh, in sure. those times. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I always encourage moms when they're pumping to like set up this ambiance and your wherever your pumping room is, make sure it smells good. Make sure it's warm. Make sure you don't have to pee. Make oh, sure yeah. that everything is met because if you have any kind of, you know, exterior anxiety or stress, then you're not going to be able to get as much milk out. Absolutely not at all. And I, I try to do, I do try to help my friends when I tell them that I'm like, for me, I was more stressed out about at first I didn't have like the hands-free stuff. And I was like, well, now I can't keep working. Now I can't do this. Now I feel like I'm wasting time. So I was like, okay, figure out how to pump hands-free. How can you continue working? How can you not have that stressor in your mind to like keep going? And good Lord, I've, I have pumped through airports across the country. I carried my pump bag across New York city, walking in it six hours and then ended up like pumping in times square. I mean, for me, I was just like, I'm going to figure this out. Um, yeah. I, again, I love that this podcast ends up like meeting, introducing me to other people. There's this woman I know that it, she was on the podcast, which I'll have you go back and listen to her. She's actually trying to work on a line of scrubs specifically for pumping nurses and doctors. Um, so you don't nice. have to, so that they are actually built for the, the medical profession, which you would think they would be first, but they're not. Anyway, that's a total sidebar. So now fast forwarding back to last year, you did have to figure out how to run your own business, how to find an LLC. Is that what it's yeah. called? Okay. So now you're starting your own business. You had to figure out how to make money from this. Mm -hmm. So did you quit your other jobs and solely focus on this now? So I quit working. So when I first got a job as a nurse practitioner, I worked there because the pay was so low. I worked there during the week and I kept my weekend job in the ER as a nurse. I actually made more money as a registered nurse in the ER than I did as a nurse practitioner. Um, so we did that so I could pay off some loans. And then I, when I started this private practice, I stopped working in the hospital as a nurse, kept my nurse practitioner job just two days a week, and then tried to jump in to 
this private practice, being able to bill uh, moms as a healthcare provider, not as a nurse, so that I could get reimbursed, so it would be worth my time. Um, and, you know, slowly but surely, I, I ended up getting credentialed through as a, as a private practice provider. I was already credentialed to bill insurance through the, the clinic where I work as a nurse practitioner, but to do it as a private practice takes months um, and a lot of time and money um, to get credentialed. And so it finally happened right as COVID um, hit. So I got, I was ready to go live with billing insurance, you know, March, 2020, which was perfect because telemedicine just boomed. Um, and everybody was doing virtual visits with their doctor. Um, so I ended up doing tons of telemedicine and FaceTime and Zoom visits with breastfeeding moms. And it was covered by their insurance, it's, you know, especially the moms, the minority moms, you know, with Medicaid or passport, um, who typically wouldn't have access to a private lactation consultant. Um, and so that's when my business really boomed and my volume increased. And so from there, I kind of ran out of time. Um, I kind of maxed out on the amount of patients I could see per day because I was driving so much. I was doing in-home visits. So I would be in Mount Washington and then New Albany and then Oldham County and then, you know, down in Old Louisville and Shelby Park. And so I was driving it sometimes an hour between patients. And so that's when, you know, my husband and I were talking and we got the clever idea of getting a, you know, starting a mobile clinic. And so we bought this, um, this 1975 Airstream camper in some cornfields in Indiana. We like, <laughs> I live in Indiana <laughs> and there's a cornfield in my yard. <laughs> was it you? <laughs> it was not me. <laughs> no, but we actually texted our family. Like when we were almost there, we're like, if we don't come home, this is like where we are on the map, like come get us. <laughs> um, so we got this old Airstream camper and decided to call it the latch hatch. And so it's currently getting renovated. It has been this gigantic money pit and this huge investment that's been like over $40,000 to do this. Thing. Ah! I know it. I'm surprised I'm still married. My poor husband has like such anxiety and is so over all of my ideas in life. <laughs> He's like, just abort mission, like cancel all this and just go back to the ER. Like <laughs> that was safe. And so, you know, I've had to like hold his hand through it and be like, everything's going to be fine. Like, this is why it's going to, this is why it's going to make sense. This is going to make money. Like we've got to do it. So anyway, this camper is, you know, on the last stage of renovations, it's going to be like this bougie camp. I mean, it's going to be the cutest thing ever. So um, are you basically like doing a tiny home makeover, but yes. for a business, because I have seen the yes. tiny home makeovers on campers and I love them. That's exactly what it is. I mean, it's yes! got beautiful hardwood <laughs> floors. It's got like Wi-Fi. It's got electricity. It's got plumbing. I mean, it is the cutest thing. Custom cabinets. Um, it's it's the most adorable thing ever. Okay. Imagine. So can I please come visit the Latch Hatch okay. when it is done? Even though I, I am not here because I don't necessarily need any consultation. I just want to support something amazing and I want to come check it out. This is so cool. So what please are your do. overall intentions with the Latch Hatch? Are you going to be so taking it to people's hatch, houses or parking it somewhere? No. The Latch Hatch will be parked regionally. So like um, I have two 
places right now that have committed to letting me park in their parking lot. One is Louisville Family Chiropractic, which she, those chiropractors there serve a lot of moms and babies. And so I'll like park there once a week or every other week. Um, so like, you know, my intention and I haven't arranged these details yet, but you know, one day a week I'll be in New Albany in a parking lot somewhere. And so the Indiana moms can come to me that day. And then another day I'll be in Mount Washington or Bardstown. Um, you know, and then another day be downtown and another day be in the East end, um, just so that I can park somewhere regionally and the moms come to me, you know, and I, cause I have a lot of moms who come from like Litchfield, E-Town, um, you know, far away, Frankfurt. And so it'd be nice if I could park in those areas and help them with travel too. I am obsessed with all of this. I mean, what you're creating, there's nothing like this. So the fact that it's, that you're doing this, I am blown away by, and you're right. Bless your husband. Cause he's over here at high school algebra teacher, teacher dealing with a pandemic and how to teach kids math, but at least his job is consistent in the sense that he knows we're going to the classroom. We're teaching math. You're over here reinventing the wheel. I know with four kids. Oh Lord. I mean, yeah, he's blowing gaskets over here. It, but you know what? You're doing it. So when is the estimated arrival of Latch Hatch? Spring? Or no, it is spring. So it is, late- well, it should be in about three weeks. So, you know, in the world of like custom cabinetry and all that, like things change really frequently. So the date has been kind of back and forth. It was supposed to be February. Um, so now hopefully it'll be by the end of March. What are, no, what are we on? March 24th? Oh, I gosh. know. <laughs> That's why I said, oh, it's coming in oh, spring. No. Oh, wait, it is spring. <laughs> It'll be before summer. <laughs> oh, April you summer. blow my mind. I mean, I knew I was excited to talk to you because I am insanely passionate about breastfeeding just because it has been one of those things that I feel so fortunate to have been able to do for my kids. And I continue to try to help anybody who says that they want to do it. But the fact that you are living and breathing and putting all of yourself into doing something that no one else is doing, I mean this is becoming one of my favorite episodes just because you're incredible and you're so fun. You've got four kids. So, okay, let's go back slightly to the family side of Teresa and her husband. Okay. What do you all do as a family that is just for you all? So we recently moved to Crestwood and we have like, you know, two and a quarter acres. And so we've, we kind of, we moved right as the pandemic hit last year, which was surprising because we sold our house in like a day in Hikes Point when everything was shut down. And, you know, with showings, we had to sit in our minivan on the side of the, on the, on the side of the road because you couldn't go anywhere because everything was shut down. So we would show our house all weekend and sit in the minivan and then it sold really fast. So we moved out here um, on some property and then jumped like headfirst into like, you know, a little homestead life. And we've got ducks and chickens kittens and puppies. And so everything currently is mating. It's like mating season here in the Piercy backyard. (laughs) My kids have the unique opportunity to watch life happen from the start. I mean, these ducks are like in the pond harassing each other. And I mean, it's just a sight to be seen over here. So my kids spend a lot of time outside. They're dirty in the Creek every day, which I love. My husband spent all summer last year building this tree house back by the Creek. 
So they're definitely like living their best kid life, coming in muddy with like twigs in their hair. And it's great. I, again, I think you and I are going to be friends now. I'm, I'm, I'm making it so. So <laughs> we live on land as well. And there is a creek here. And I not, I want to talk to you about animals. We've actually been debating on getting animals. And yeah. we think it would also be something great for our kids to have a daily task to do because we're obviously tr trying to keep them away from iPads and video games. They do have yeah. them. And because of the pandemic, we certainly got into them more. But now that it's nice out again, I'm like, get outside, get outside. And I always say, go get money, go get dirty. Just don't yes. do it in your school clothes. And yeah. I mean, I find sticks in the kid's hair. I mean, they're running around doing the most absurd things outside, but it's like, that's what I want for them yes. is to be able I to go it. outside and frolic and play. So at another point, I will pick your brain about farm animals and which ones to get. We've been eyeing possibly donkeys, goats, and chickens. And I'm kind of scared of chickens. Like I'm used to fuzzy creatures. Yeah. I'm not used to feathered creatures. <laughs> the easiest ducks um you know there is this thing where you can get alpacas there's like Ooh. some kind of federal grant where if you get so many alpacas you get this huge like tax credit and evidently like the the fleece of an alpaca is like luxury and so people will pay you and come and shear your alpacas because i think that's isn't it cashmere Maybe? I don't know, but I'm going to look into it. <laughs> There's something like super fancy about alpaca fur and pe and they want people to have alpacas on their property. So that's what you should get. And they're adorable. Okay. Well, we'll talk about that on the side. Teresa, thank you so much for your time today from Latched Louisville. If people want to find you, is your handle on Instagram Latched Louisville? Yep. Latched, Latched Louisville. And what is your website? LatchLouisville.com. So easy. Latch hatch coming soon. Teresa, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon.